Again, we open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 4. Please keep it open. We'll look at a few of the following verses. We won't be going back and forth a whole lot today in the scriptures, but uh, keep it open. We will be looking at some other verses that follow. Um, again, remember that the book of Acts is the second of Luke's two books. They're not adjacent to each other in, in how it's laid out in our scriptures. But remember, uh, Luke wrote, Dr. Luke, a uh, medical physician, wrote the, the Gospel of Luke. And that's book one for him. And then book two is Acts. Okay. The book of Acts. So keep that in view. Uh, and I turn us now to, and I'll read for you, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering to, into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Hauling men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. I'm going to be focusing on other things today, but it comes to my mind to recognize in verse 2. Notice Stephen, they made great lamentation over him. That's not what we're looking at today, but I have seen uh, another series with Ligonier. I might bring us to it one po at some point soon. Uh, we have lost our, our brother. He's in heaven. It's his gain uh, not long ago, so I think it might be a good time. There's a series by Guy Waters in Ligonier Ministries that we might watch soon uh, when we complete our other series um, on death and on grieving. And he really points out in the one message I saw that grieving is such a natural thing in the scriptures. We should recognize that. And here is another example of that. They were grieving with what? They had great lamentation, great lamentation. That's very, very biblical. And I think the churches discourage that uh, by implication and example, if not by word. Uh, great lamentation. So again, we're not on that sermon today, but it occurs to me to comment on that verse. And there's a place for great lamentation over the loss of our brethren. It's not, remember, it's not like those who have no hope. Uh, but yet still, uh, Jesus, just before he raised Lazarus from the dead, knowing he was going to do it, and said it's good that he's dead before he got there because he was going to show his great power and glory, and yet he wept before he raised him. That's uh, a bit of an aside, but it stands out to me there, and pray that brings comfort and guidance for us. Um, there's a doctrine of grief in the scriptures, and I, I intend to uh, bring us there soon with Guy Waters' series together. Not only for our own comfort, but as we are told in Romans, to not only rejoice with them that do rejoice, but weep or mourn with them that weep and mourn. But let us rejoice in the Lord today, even keeping in mind that this death of Stephen is part of it. And we're going to see this great persecution in this text. And, let, and yet our verse ends with joy. And we want to recognize that and see how the Lord uses difficult things in our life for his purposes to advance the kingdom. And ultimately, we have great joy in seeing how he does that. 
Well, I am thinking of another sermon uh, as we approach this text today that I gave to you a while ago, 1 Samuel chapter 9, uh, 1 through chapter 10, verse 4. You don't need to turn there. We're not going to go there. It's, but uh, the reference point was this. The story was this. Saul was sent all over the place looking for his father's donkeys. And it couldn't have seemed like there was much purpose to it. It must have felt like a great distraction and a grand waste of time, especially considering he wasn't doing it with one of those nice big trucks you guys, many of you have, with something to pull behind it. He would have been walking around a long time looking for these donkeys. And it was a circuitous path. And I'm sure there was an aspect of, what am I doing looking for donkeys, you know? But it was during that seemingly distraction where Samuel was sent by God to meet Saul along the way and there anoint him king of Israel. The message for you then was your donkey detours are divinely guided. And we all like to talk about providence, and we should. But I know that you and I struggle with the truth of it when we have all our little detours and distractions and disturbances, and we don't get it. You can think of the, you know, the message we, uh, the movie we saw Friday Night Life, Mark, when that young man uh, had ended up having a birth defect and couldn't wrestle anymore, and was intending on getting a scholarship, and he's like, why? Why is the Lord letting this happen to me? Well, we don't always know the whys at the time. But we need to trust as he's divinely guiding us through what feels like detours. And he's taking to his place. We wouldn't be otherwise, whether it's physical or, you know, uh, figurative, to do something with us there. And we have to remember, it's always more about others than it really is about us. And it's about Christ and the gospel being brought to others more than about us. And so we see that in our text today. God uses the suffering and scattering of his people to send Christ and the gospel through them to others and make more Christians elsewhere. I give that to you as the main idea of our verse in its context. God uses the suffering and scattering of his people to send Christ and the gospel through them to others and make more Christians elsewhere. In verse 1, we see that there is great persecution of the church. There was a time of great persecution against the church. Notice that's the thing. It's against the church. Now notice it's coming right off that they had just killed Stephen for preaching the gospel. And now there's great persecution in the church. Now notice that's you guys for the most part, not the apostles, not that they didn't have plenty of their own persecutions to go through. We've seen they're often in prison. They get beat for preaching the gospel. But in this case, the people of God are not exempt from persecution. We know the scriptures say that you'll go through much persecution entering the kingdom of heaven, especially you who seek to be godly. So notice that persecution is the context. I don't think that we usually pray, Lord, please persecute me. Have you ever uttered those words in prayer? It occurs to me, I don't think I've once said that. Maybe please get me out of persecution. I think we pray for that a lot. I think we also pray, please lead me not into persecution. A lot more than we pray, lead me not into temptation. Remember our study on that a while back? Thomas Watson showed us that affliction is much better. It's better for us to be afflicted than it would be to be, let us be led into sin. So 
That's what's happening, and that's the context here. And of course, many, I hope, well-meaning Christians will say, oh, Christians aren't so to suffer. Christians aren't so supposed to suffer persecution. It's supposed to be a wonderful, prosperous life, your life now, and all this prosperity. I don't see that here, do you? But you're going to see that's how the church grows. And a lot of growth out there with that other kind of gospel. Well, I saw an interesting video recently about who you might be thinking of one of the biggest. And the example was, the, and these were pagans saying, you know, in this particular state, when we had this particular big flood and dif difficulty, this big pastor living in a mansion, making all this money with that gospel, but we're not supposed to be persecuted. We're just supposed to have a wonderful life. Right? When there was a flood and there were many people who were seeking shelter, he wouldn't let them in the church so as not to make the new carpeting dirty. This is what I'm hearing from these people. We'd, we don't want to particularly not mention the name. We want to double check these things. He said, but there was a, a man and he said, this is the person that, and I don't think these people are Christians, especially other words out of their mouth, were saying, this is the person that Jesus uses. Because they were saying, and, and the one guy said, you just know, it's just obvious. It's just obvious what's really going on. And the guy was somebody who owned a number of stores. I don't remember what he particularly sold, but he was getting the message, furniture. And he was getting the message out there, come to my warehouses, come to my stores. You can sleep on the couch. I don't care. You come here. And he gave shelter to many. And see how the Lord used that. And he's going to use his suffering and loss to build and grow and reach people with the gospel. We have to be thinking about how the Lord would do such things in our troubles and trials and that we wouldn't bunker up and not want to let anyone into our nice, pristine places, but rather he'd give us problems and persecutions that our hearts are opened up to others with the gospel, the preaching of it and the serving of it in mercy ministry. But notice the context is persecution of the church, and in particular, the members of the church is being highlighted by, by recognizing it isn't the apostles in this case. Many also were committed to prison. Verse 3, and hailing men and women, notice, committed them to prison. Have you ever said, Lord, please send me to prison for the gospel? I haven't either. Might say, Lord, please protect me from going to prison for preaching the gospel. I'm not sure I said, please send me there. You remember, John Bunyan was in prayer 12 years, and my understanding is, is the door was open. He could have left any time. But for preaching the gospel, he was there, and in that place, he wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, which after the Bible is the most read English book in the world, and has, and you'll hear so many ministers and Christians speaking about it, right? It was through going and having to go to prison. These are not the things we pray for, and I don't know that we have to say, please send me to these things, but at least, Lord, have me ready. And wherever I am, help me ready to trust that you have me there for a reason. What will you do with it? What will you do with me there? He has a purpose in it. Now notice verses 1 to 4. They were scattered. Scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So that's beyond Jerusalem. And isn't that what Jesus says in the beginning of the book of Acts? Go make disciples, right? The end of Matthew, but going to from Jerusalem to Judea to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? So that's what's starting to happen. 
Jesus will make sure his command to bring the gospel everywhere happens by sending people out through those places. They were scattered because of the persecution. The Lord uses that often to send his people elsewhere. Again, you see the same thing in verse 4. They were scattered. The Greek word is a diaspora. Sometimes you'll hear about the diaspora, the dispersion of God's people, so that they're in all these different places ready to receive the gospel. Synagogues built up, ready to have the apostles come in and preach there in these different places. What was the result of the persecution? What was the result of the imprisonment? What was the result of the scattering and fleeing the persecution to other places? The making of disciples of all nations, the preaching of the gospel in new areas to new people, and the saving of many there, which is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. 20 Go, therefore, I've been given all power on, uh, and authority in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey all my commandments. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. But the Great Commission is go make disciples. Bring the gospel, convert them, and teach them to live for me. And that's what happened. Look at the example and the results with Philip in the verses that follow. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So they're hearing the gospel and they're being served by the gospel. Now remember, that's the same thing we saw in Christ's ministry. It was very even. The preaching of the gospel and the mercy ministry of the gospel. And here you see that going out. And we need to remember that today. We pray the Lord would give us opportunities and recognize when problems occur. And when that incurs on our campus or around our campus, that's a contact opportunity with the neighborhood. And to take advantage of that. And give a gospel witness to it. And sometimes perhaps there's an opportunity with mercy ministry through such situations as we peel back the layers. But notice the joy, the joy of Jesus that was brought to others. There was another sermon you've heard years ago that said, let your sadness bring others gladness related to something Peter preached. Look at the joy being brought to others of Jesus because Jesus is you as the light of the world and he brings that light of him, the world, to others by sending you places you don't want to be. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean a move. It could be that he's just moving around and within you in ways you don't like and don't want and wish would go away. But he's going to bring joy of Jesus to others. And then what's going to happen for you? Joy. Will you not rejoice to see how the Lord has used a trouble for you and brought others to salvation and say the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Remember, we are called to sow in tears, trusting we will reap in joy if we faint not. So remember also, Paul rejoiced in the letter to the Philippians. What did he rejoice about? I'm so thankful I've been sent to prison. He's writing from prison. He's likely chained to a guard 24 hours a day. But many people are visiting him there. He's got great influence in Rome. 
And he says, I also rejoice that a number of pastors out there are persecuting me as well. But I rejoice because all of it is contributing to the advancement of the gospel and to the saving of many souls. What is one of the sub-themes of Philippians? Rejoice, joy. This is a man writing from prison, suffering greatly for the gospel. And he's writing to the church, the Philippians, knowing they're suffering, but yet they're partnering in the gospel and rejoicing with them and what the Lord has done with them there. And, and why did he reach those in, in the Philippians? Why was he even there? He didn't want to go there. Do you remember that? In the book of Acts, we know this. He intended to go to Asia. But the Holy Spirit, Spirit forbade him to go there and sent him somewhere else. There's a note about that with missions in terms of what doors are open and what remain closed, that we preach a gospel of truth wherever we go. Lord closes the door, he's got a different one open. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But notice, he goes there because the Holy Spirit said, you're going there. It's not where he wanted to go. It wasn't where they were intending to go on this missions trip. There was the Macedonian call. And this is why there's a church here that he's writing to about such joy many years later as his favorite church they're so close to. But why was he there? Because God sent him where he didn't want to go. And that's why Lydia and her household come to faith. That's why the Philippian jailer and his household comes to faith, faith as part of the church. And with the Philippian jailer, how did that happen, do you recall? What was the context there? Paul and Silas were in prison. And they were singing. And you can be sure that they were singing songs of rejoicing. They weren't singing, nobody knows sorrows. Nobody knows the problems I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. They weren't singing. They were singing, rejoicing in the Lord. Surely they're singing psalms. They didn't leave the prison when they could have. And the Philippian, Philippian jailer who would have killed himself. Don't hurt yourself. This is one of our memory verses. Remember recently with the shorter catechism. The preservation of others' life. We're still here. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your whole household. And they were baptized. In the jail, right? Or in that area. So remember what that means about what that would have had to mean for the mode of baptism. Another sermon, another time. But keep in mind mainly the reason he's in Philippi, the reason he's in the jail with the Philippian jailer and that he gets saved is because they were imprisoned there for the gospel service and they were singing praises and the jailer took note of it and wanted to know. He asked, how am I saved? See, people around you in places you don't want to be, when they see you rejoicing in the Lord and trusting in his providence, they say, what, what is it about you? How can I have this? How can I have Jesus? If they hadn't been in jail, if they hadn't been sent there to the city, none of these people would have been saved. There might not have been a church. And again, we just loved going through that letter to the Philippians, right? A special church really wouldn't have even, wouldn't have happened, at least not with Paul. And think about how that comes back to him, how much he's so encouraged by them. They're constantly supporting his ministry and they're writing and sending support. Now, how are you doing with Epaphroditus? And he's sending Epaphroditus back. I want you to know, I don't want you to worry. I'm doing well. Hope to plan to send Timothy, send myself later. But think of all the encouragement he's saying this church is here of the Philippians. And it wouldn't have happened if he had it his way, if he had been where he planned to be. 
as we know the phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It may not always be the giving of our lives, but it could be sweat and blood for the service of the kingdom. Beloved, your suffering is to scatter you, to send you with the seed of the precious word to serve beyond yourself in new situations to make new servants of Jesus. Maybe we miss that a lot in our bemoaning and uh, wallowing and self-pity about it. And we miss those moments to witness that are being put there ripe for the picking. God disrupts you. God disappoints your plans to disperse you to make new disciples of Christ elsewhere according to his glorious, gracious plan. Your persecution and your problems are about kingdom progress. When you pray the prayer of Jabez, enlarge my coasts. Oh, that your hand would be with me. Bless me indeed. May you recognize that if he answers your prayer as he did Jabez, very possibly it could be affirmatively an answer by God. But the, f the fulfillment of that answer is to disturb you and to disappoint you and to develop you in those places you would otherwise not want to be, but are given greater influence to evangelize. I want to challenge you all. I think we all have our places, and some of you I've heard it particular. You might be in a place right now you're not enjoying. Evangelize. That's why you're there. There's a purpose and a place for you there. Look at it as the opportunity that it is. With work, maybe you had to go to a different job. That's a reason for that. There's people there the Lord may want to witness to through you in the work on your lunch hour. Maybe you find yourselves in the hospitals often. Evangelize there. Be a light there. God has a plan with all of it to build his kingdom through you there. Also be encouraged about the persecutor in our text. What is his name? Verse 1. Saul. What will his name soon be? Paul. Very good, young men. And how did he become Paul? On the road to Damascus where Jesus met him and interrupted him and say, Why do you persecute my church? Although Jesus was using it, this persecution, to expand his church. And he gives Paul a big time problem. He gives him a big interruption on his path. He was on his way to hurt the church more. Jesus interrupts him and changes his plans, makes him blind. Completely transforms him. Brings him into Christ and salvation. And through that problem, he becomes the greatest missionary of the New Testament and of all time in human and church history. I'm sure he wasn't looking forward to Jesus meeting him there in that kind of problem when he was actually on his way to persecute Christ's body. But look at him rejoice over it now. I want to encourage you to be thinking about that. God used him as the missionary particularly to bring the Gentiles to be saved by the king of the Jews. Are you working with uh, Jewish people? Are you working with uh, uh, Muslim people? Are you working with others from different faiths and parts of the country? You know, we live in a city where so many different people groups are here. 
to witness true just by being wherever you are there. By the way, I want you to keep in mind in the seven letters to the churches of Asia in Revelation, many of them are going through great persecution, suffering greatly and called upon to be faithful and more faithful. He doesn't once say move to Texas. He doesn't once say leave the city. He calls upon us through all of these problems and persecutions and challenges that put us in a place we don't want to be or keep us in a place we'd like to get out of to expand the church there, be a light unto the world. And what a place to do it. What a state and what a city to do it. So many people here because of their own problems and challenges. And here you are to give a witness to them. Thinking of Saul who becomes Paul, Jesus says of Paul in Acts chapter 9, just a little while later, when he does hit him right between the eyes in the road to Damascus, Acts 9, 15 to 16, he says, uh, Jesus the Lord speaks of Paul, now Paul, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, how many seminary students about to graduate say, yeah, sign me up for that. Make me an ambassador to all the kings of the earth. Oh, but it comes with this, beloved. Jesus next says, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Whatever you have facing you on the horizon that you're not sure how you're going to make it work or how is it supposed to work, you trust that God is going to use that as part of his plan to do things you can't even imagine that are way bigger than you think they are. More than anything, to introduce Jesus to other people where he'll have you in those places and to draw them into the church as is said in early acts such as should be saved who knows how God may throw you into pits and prisons and with difficult people and make a prince out of you there like Joseph to save many lives or take your husband from you and send you into another strange land like Ruth to remarry and be part of the church and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Again, saving many lives. In Acts chapter 2, verse 5, the God-fearing Jews are there from all over the known world to hear Peter's sermon in Jerusalem at Pentecost. But where were they from and where would they be going back to? Every nation under earth, it says. Why? Because of the discipline that many of them had gone through in the history of the church. And not everybody comes back to Jerusalem. Many of them have built their homes there, built synagogues there, and so they take the gospel back there. And when you see through the book of Acts, they're going mostly to synagogues in all of these different places that are beyond Jerusalem. And those synagogues exist because of the diaspora of God's people through off much of their history. And so the preaching comes to those places where God has his people worshiping them right where they are. And the gospel comes in there preached by Christ and is a light to the neighborhood around it. May it not be that you are sent 
to a new life situation to influence new people for Jesus? Are you thinking of that? Could it be that what you are going through is preparing you for whom God will send you to or whom God will send to you? Even if you feel like you're in prison and you'll be ready for it because of the disturbance in your life to be more able to notice and serve them. God will take you out of your comfort zone to bring the comfort of the gospel for, to those who don't yet have what you have. And he will help you further fulfill your purpose, which is what, Christian? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, drawing many other disciples into the kingdom for the same purpose. You will find yourself in the end rejoicing like Paul, rejoicing here like those who are ministered by Philip, rejoicing as the Lord works through you in your troubles and your disturbances, in your disappointments, in your donkey detours to bring you to places not only to anoint and prepare you for more ministry, but the people who will be there, including whether it's right where you are when you wish you were somewhere else. You know, we waste so much time thinking about and preparing for the grass that is greener on the other side of the fence. When we could be saying, let me build with where I am at the moment. Read what Samuel Rutherford has to say about that in his ministry, being planted to bear fruit right where he is if the Lord doesn't call him anywhere else. I gave you another sermon a while ago, and this was its title. If God closes a door, he opens another door. And so you open the gospel to others through that other door where God would direct you. And that was based on Acts chapter 16, 6 to 12, where Paul was redirected by the Holy Spirit by the Macedonian call to Lydia, to the Philippian jailer. And in that sermon, I also applied what you've had a sermon on not long ago, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What are you going through right now? Have this in particular in view, what God's going to do with it through you right now for others, for the kingdom. And remember these words that you know well, and now apply them. Like, I want to make sure I'm applying them in ways I don't think to. Apply this with what you're looking at or what you don't know. You can't see it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. What are you troubled about at the moment? What troubles are you in at the moment, even if you've brought yourself into them. God uses them all. Remember uh, what we've learned in Providence, chapter 5, section 5 of the Westminster Confession. He uses it all in particular to humble you <laughs> and make you more dependent on him so then we'll be more useful for him, right? See how whatever it is, God is preparing you in that trouble to testify of his triumph through it and through you.
and be used to bring you to others with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, the resurrection, and the life. He will disorient your life to reorient the life of others. Be encouraged and be excited that God disturbs and disperses you to make disciples. That's what your life's really supposed to be about. It's what it is about. It's what he's going to make it about. And you'll find yourself with those that you reach rejoicing in the end. Though you sow in tears, you will reap with joy. The message for you this morning, God disturbs and disperses you to make disciples. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, help us to have eyes to see and remember what you say in your word about you who are you are using all things for the good of them that love you. But it isn't just about us. You are using all things to bring us to others or have us ready for others to be brought to us. And we're in a way and in a situation where we can share the gospel. We can share about the Savior and the King of Jesus. That like Zacchaeus, there would be much rejoicing in the household because salvation has come to it. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be prepared, to be ready, indeed to be excited and encouraged when we see the difficulties and troubles and problems lying before us so that we find ourselves lying in. Let us be excited about what you're going to do in it and through it and through us there for others. And we do pray, O oh Lord, build thy kingdom. Build it through us. Glorify yourself and let us rejoice like Paul, even in our persecutions, for how you use it for the advancement and prosperity of the gospel, and bringing others into the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you add to the household of God such as should be saved and you grow our family that we have more to be thinking and speaking of when we sing Psalm 122 praying for the peace and prosperity of our brethren in Christ, in whose name we pray.